Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Thank you so much for listening today. I am thrilled to have on Rabbi Manis Friedman, who is a world-renowned speaker, lecturer, teacher, counselor, therapist, author, and has recently come out with an amazing book called The Joy of Intimacy. We will be discussing that topic, intimacy, marriage, humility, child raising, a lot of really important things. So I encourage you to take out a notepad and get ready to make some notes on our conversation together. Thank you. Rabbi Friedman, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you as a guest on the show. If you could please just tell the audience before we jump off into what I know will be a very intriguing conversation, a little bit about your background and what you're focusing on right now with your writing and your speaking. I went to yeshiva in uh, the Lubavitch system, primarily 770 Eastern Parkway, the main center. And I was always looking forward to going out and working for the Jewish community, finding a place, and uh, offering offering to, to share what what we were taught, because that's the goal of every of every yeshiva student in Lubavitch. So uh, finally, in 1970, my wife and I moved to Minnesota, and we set up uh, in the Chabad house there, and we started this program for women. There was no place where an adult woman could go to study Judaism. Eventually, a number of places opened up, and now there are plenty of opportunities. But at that time, 1970, there was nothing anywhere in the world. So we started this crash course, come for a month, primarily aimed at uh, college women, come for a month, find out what Judaism is all about. And amazingly, it attracted women from Israel. (laughs) They came from the Holy Land to St. Paul, Minnesota, (laughs) to study Judaism. That was amazing. And it's been going ever since. So we've had these crash courses a number of times a year. Now we have 15 times a year. And we're getting close to 30,000 women now. Of course, one of the most consistent conversations is family, marriage, family, divorce. And from all of that, uh, I gave out a book in 1991 called Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore about relationships. And now 20 years later, or something like that, the second follow-up book, Joy of Intimacy, because it is still such a huge issue. And the scariest part of the whole thing is when married couples, married people, happily married, find that they feel alone in the world. The husband, the wife, feels alone in the world. Now, that is not supposed to happen. Now now the problem is getting really serious. It's not just husbands and wives disagreeing and fighting and calling each other names. We've gotten used to that. But when they do agree and they like each other and they're happily married, 
and yet feel alone in the world, something fundamental is missing. And we had to find that, you know, put our finger on, the, on that pulse and figure out what it is that's missing. And the answer is intimacy. So what's interesting is that I'm assuming the advice is not, you know, the same for both genders. And, a, and it's not just limited to marriage. You had mentioned it, it's mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's also de dealing with the relationship with God and the individual. It's probably manifesting itself in the, a person in themselves. So how do you define, I guess, from a masculine perspective or what men can do to cultivate, or I guess, why is such a crisis with intimacy? Is it just manifest itself for the first time in marriage or not necessarily? And how does a person start to develop that appreciation, openness, and the tools really for creating a real relationship with anybody? That's the question. That is it right there. If a man were to say, I love everything about my wife. That sounds pretty good. Everything? Yeah, everything, everything about my wife. What could be better? It's a distraction. You love everything about her. Do you love her? And I ask men this question. And they say, well, what do you mean? What about her? I said, no, not about her. Her. Do you love her? They don't know what that means. If you take all the things about her away, what's left? What does it mean to just love her? For what? About what? Intimacy means connecting to a person beyond all things, beyond the what, just the who. I need you in my life. What do I need from you? Nothing. I'm all grown up. I don't need anything. I just need you. That's the definition of marriage. Marriage means alone is not right. I need someone else besides me. For what? For someone else. So in that case, sorry, in that, in that case, um, if, if marriage is the end of a process that I believe in a lot of cases in the, in the world that people haven't finished that process of being okay with themselves. Because again, most people look at marriage as, you know, why do I want a spouse that has good looks or has money or has, you know, is going to take care of me or I'm really disorganized and she's really organized or vice versa. So, you know, we look at marriage as completing ourselves, probably because like you're saying, we we need people for their other stuff. So that's why it's very hard to love them for them because we didn't marry them for them. We love them for what they're going to do for us. So how does a person cultivate that sense? And I think now it goes back to the, a man in himself or again, a man, a person in themselves or a person in God. How do they start to develop that appreciation, I guess, for themselves without all of the things that they are like, whatever, their attributes that have been ascribed to them? It goes to the very core of what you think of life. If you think life is about getting your needs, uh, fulfilling your needs, um, gathering up a bunch of stuff, and not necessarily physical stuff, but things. Like for example, let's put it very, very graphically. If a man were to say to a woman, I love you for your money, 
and I want to marry you for your money. Now, he's being very honest, and there's really nothing wrong with money. I find it quite useful. <laughs> What's wrong with a man saying, I want to marry you for your money? What's wrong with that? Obviously, what's wrong with it is that it's a misnomer. I don't want to marry you for your money. I want to marry your money. And if you must come along with it, okay, <laughs> I'll put up with you too. But if I could have the money without you, that would be even better, right? Now, why is it more acceptable to say I'm marrying you for love? I'm marrying you because I love you. Am I marrying you or am I marrying the love? Why is it any better? Actually, money is more useful. <laughs> so if you're going to marry for something, make it money. Lots of money. <laughs> so if a guy says, no, 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 not just your money, your looks too. Yeah, and I love your love. And I love your sense of humor. So now he's married to five things, which is polygamy. <laughs> and he's still not connected to her. And she's going to feel alone in the world. The reason for getting married is not because you're missing something. The reason to get married is because you're missing someone. There's just you and your stuff. You're alone in the world. That's not acceptable. So you marry someone so that you're not alone with yourself. Now, why, if I have all the stuff I need, why would I want someone? Why do I need someone? It's a good question. And there's no answer. God created the world and he doesn't need anything because he's perfect. So he created the world not needing anything, but he needed someone. Why? Because there was just him. Why that's not enough for him is a divine mystery. But it turns out only someone who is perfect can actually connect to another person with no strings attached. If I need something, I'm going to marry you for that thing. But I'm not going to be married to you. I'm going to be married to the thing. And you're going to feel alone in the world. But when I don't need things anymore, not because I have them, I just don't care anymore. In a sense, I'm perfect with the things of my life. Now, all I need is you. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. I don't know why, that's just the way we are, created in God's image. He doesn't like being alone, and he put it into our personality as well. So what do I need you for? Nothing. <laughs> I so need you for nothing. If a person is born then, and I think if we would reverse it, so it makes sense what you're saying. It's a divine mis you know, mystery, but you know, God, so to speak, the fact that we're here implies that he wasn't going to be by himself. The, the question is, and I, and I know this is something that you, you speak about, this concept of, of victimhood that we, as people, 
are or perceive our lives to be the product of circumstances. You know, I was born, you know, God needed me, so to speak, but he put me with this family and, you know, my mother doesn't speak to, not my mother, but, you know, a person has drama with their parents or a person has financial problems or health problems or all of these variety of things, which makes it hard for them to show up and feel like they're happy with their life. So how does a person take that God mentality to the flawed human existence? In other words, being that we're in the condition where we do have many things that we need, how do I get past it to really connect to my wife? It may take a while. When we're first dating, what are we, what are we looking for? We're looking for things. When you go on a date, you're, you're deciding to marry somebody, you want to check out their sense of humor, you want to check out their personality, you want to check out their interests, the things, these are things. But you're not marrying those things. The reason you need to check them out is to make sure that they don't interfere. So if there's something about the other person that rubs me the wrong way, it's not going to let me connect to her or him. So I'm checking out all of these things. I'm comfortable with everything about you. That's why I can move past them and just connect to you. Again, it might take a while. In the first year, maybe I'm still thinking about the things I like about you. But I know that that's not what I'm married for and that's not what I'm married to. Love has become a huge problem because love has been deified. Literally, love is the God of America. We've, we've turned it into an idol. We marry for love, we live for love, we die for love, we kill for love. Love is the solution to everything, and every problem is because there isn't enough love. And that's beginning to sound ridiculous. Love can't be the solution to everything. Your child is acting funny, love him more. Oh, I love him a lot. Love him more. It's not working. It's not working. And it was never meant to work. Love is the spice of life. It's not the definition of life. So intimacy means the ability that we have to shed all our needs and just enjoy the pleasure of being with someone else. It's not a performance, particularly in the bedroom. Intimacy is not a performance. There's no way of measuring it. There's no good intimacy and bad intimacy. There's just us. So if you ask your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Your grandmother says, nothing. You say, come on, tell me. Nothing. Fine, you don't want to tell me? She's telling you, listen. A bedroom? What happens in a bedroom? No thing. It's just them. There's no what. There's just the who. It's him and her. He's not a thing. She's not a thing. What they're doing is not a thing. It's the pleasure of being with each other without anything coming between them. That is godly pleasure. So what's a bedroom? A bedroom is a no-thing zone. So at the very least, even if there are things you are interested in 
about your spouse, but leave them at the door. Don't bring them into the bedroom. Keep the bedroom sacred. And sacred means devoted to one particular cause and nothing else is invited. So at least in the bedroom, the pleasure should not be a love or a sexual pleasure or an activity pleasure or some Olympic event or some performance. It's just the pleasure of being with each other. And if you don't have that, you are alone in the world. And that's a terrible feeling. And now it, now it turns out that it's a health hazard. Being alone in the world destroys your immune system. So now it's, now we're getting serious. So how do you start? I think two, two things have popped up. Obviously, this is under the, the guise of and the wisdom coming from the Torah and from, you know, all of the, the deep ideas with Judaism. So how does one learn to have that intimacy with God? And the subsequent and slightly perhaps different question is, what are the what tools could you advocate besides, of course, your book, of which I recommend, and I will I will read it. Um, you know, be, besides the book, you just kind of like on on one foot. What are some of the tools to recapture or to capture for the first time this sense of intimacy, which is so difficult to achieve, at least in perception nowadays? Actually, it's not difficult. It's just unheard of. Nobody, nobody ever suggested it. Nobody ever recommended it. But look at Judaism. What, what makes a Jew relevant, significant, important? For the longest time, and tragically, the definition of a Jew was how well he performs. You do 613 mitzvahs, you're in. You do less than that, hmm. You don't do enough mitzvahs, you're not Jewish. It's a disaster. It's a tragedy. Judaism is not a performance. A Jew is related to God by, by, by the nature of his soul. We are a piece of him. He wants us, not something from us. What could he possibly need from us? He's perfect. We're excited about God and remain excited despite all the, the, the impossible conditions under which we live. We remain connected to him because if he just wants me, how, how can I resist that? That's irresistible. So God says, you got to be good. You got to do this. You got to do that. You didn't do it. I still need you. I need you. So our response is, you know, equal and opposite reaction. In that case, I don't need anything from God. I just need him. And in fact, when you look at religion, Christians uh, <clears throat> are enamored with God because God is love which also means love is God. So are they worshiping God or are they worshiping love? If God wasn't love, would you still be interested? No. Well, then you're worshiping love. 
Muslims worship God because he's all powerful. So are you worshiping God or are you worshiping power? You're worshiping power. That's what makes you dangerous. So who's worshiping God? Now, if I'm going to keep mitzvahs because I want to have a better life, if I'm going to keep mitzvahs because I want to get to heaven and have gefilte fish served to me on a golden platter, am I serving God? And if for a long time, rabbis and schools and yeshivas and all the preachers and teachers were all insisting that God doesn't need you. You need him. You need him. He's there for you. It's not true, and therefore it's not working. If it's all for me, and I'm doing all the mitzvahs because God told me that it's best for me, how am I serving him? I'm not serving him, I'm serving me. And if I'm the center of the universe, something's wrong. And God has become my personal valet. He teaches me, he guides me, he ch chastises me when I need to be corrected, but it's all about me. This is Judaism. This is called serving God. It, it's terrible. And of course, it creates political horrors. Who's the best Jew? Who's got it right? Who's doing it best? You're not good enough. I'm better. Oh, it, it's just, it, it's horrible. Is this, just from a historical standpoint, and what you're saying is so fascinating, that, that how did this get in, introduced? I, not, not to be in any way political. Is this just a product of the human involvement with the divine system? Like, why is this so the way that the world perceives Judaism, the way that Jews perceive Judaism? You know, again, like if you'd say that that's, I think, very endemic of people that do practice. A lot of people that don't practice say, well, I don't need kosher. I don't, you know, it's, it's like, why? Well, you know, they, they hear what we're saying, you know, okay, to get close to God, I need to keep kosher, whatever that might be. And they say, well, you know, I, I'm fine not keeping kosher and it's not, not a problem. So when did this become so in, a part of the way that Jews perceive their religion? It's assimilation. It's assimilation. It's Christianity rubbing off on Jewish thinking. It was never a Jewish concept. <clears throat> I, you know, I met this Jewish boy who I hadn't seen in a long time. And I said, how, what, what's going on? He said, I've become a Buddhist. <laughs> I said, Mazel Tov, why? Why did you become a Buddhist? He says, I wanted to get closer to God. <laughs> so I said, were you invited? You can unilaterally decide you're getting closer to him. Does he want you closer? Are you a little too close and wants you to back off? <laughs> like, what do you mean you want to get closer to God? Closeness involves two people. It can't just be your decision. Now, ask Buddhists, ask the Dalai Lama if God wants to be closer to you. He doesn't. God is bliss. So you want to get closer to him through Buddhism? You're taking a Jewish concept. Only Jews think of getting closer to God. Christians think about how you need to be saved by God. And Muslims are afraid that <laughs> they're going to lose out on their share of heaven. Who, who really cares about closeness to God? Only Judaism. 
in that sense, Judaism is not a religion at all. Religion means getting something from God. Judaism is trying to do something for God. So the question is not, do you want to get closer? Did he ask you to come closer? Does he need you closer? Because if it's just you wanting something from him, that's just another form of narcissism, spiritual narcissism. So Judaism is wanting to do for him. Why? Because he asked, because he depends on you, because he's vulnerable, because he created this whole world for a purpose and left it up to you, and you can blow it for him. So he's vulnerable, he's trusting us, he's depending on us. So if I have five minutes free and I can do something for him, I'll do it. Does that mean I became religious? I'm not becoming religious. But I had five minutes, I put on filling. Why, why not if it serves him? Doesn't cost me much. That's a Jew. Not what can I get from him? What can I do for him? That's called serving him. So of course, in order to serve him, he has to need something. If he needs nothing, you can't serve him. You can be a nudnik. <laughs> you can stalk him. <laughs> you can't, but you can't serve him. So if you're praying five times a day, you better check to see whether he, <laughs> whether he wants to hear from you five times a day. Or maybe you're just annoying. Um, so, so in the case of of God, you know, like we have we have the Torah to explain the relationship and what He wants to get close get close to Him. But then, if you turn around and and, and I don't know if it's an easy fix or a very difficult fix, but if you look in in the in the realm of a relationship, and this, I, I know there's a lot of work going on in the medical and the psychological community about you know men learning how to make their wives happy on a on a, on a physical level whatever you, you you want about that but the idea that communication is really necessary between two people and probably i'd venture to say that men don't know all the time what their wife wants so how do you take that concept that if if i would say you know what, i really want to do something good for the world you say great five minutes to fill in kosher, whatever you want, right? But it, I go and I say, well, okay, I really want to do something nice for my wife. You know, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I get, how, does, how do you, or the, the, the reverse would be, my wife says, you know, what do I want? How, am I, how do I get over the fear of saying like what I actually want? I'll tell you what your wife wants. She wants you. She wants you not things from you. Not that she doesn't need some of the things from you, but that's not what the marriage is about. She can get those things from somebody else. She wants you. She wants to know that you are there for her so that she's not alone in the world. Now, how do you convey that? Are there five love languages? <laughs> She doesn't want your love. She wants you, which of course includes your love. So let's, let's take a, a lesson from Fiddler on the Roof. Tevye asks Golda, do you love me? 
Golda says, 25 years, I've washed your clothes, I've made your meals, and so on. What is she saying? He's asking about love. Why is she talking about laundry? She's not talking about laundry. She's saying, you're interested and curious about love. You want to know if you're getting my love, if I'm giving you my love. You're such a child. For 25 years, I've given myself to you. You have me for 25, all of me. Does that include my love? Yeah, it includes my love. That's not what you're looking for? That's not what marriage is all about? Right? So she ends up saying, and if that's not love, what is? What she's saying is, there's a different kind of love that that's mature, not needy. It's giving, not taking. So the love that we worship is only a spice. Real life is the kind of love that she's talking about. I give myself to you. You are the other half of my existence. I don't know me without you. I'm not me without you. That's a whole different kind of love. If we even need to call it love, because it gets confusing. Final so, question. Oh, I'm sorry. So how do you convey your needs? From within the relationship, never outside the relationship. It should never sound like, you know, if you give me love, we'll stay married. If not, not. You've, you've already stepped out of the relationship. You're already not committed. You're giving conditions, if, right? So when, when a, a wife says, I need you to do this, you need me to do this because otherwise you don't want to be married to me, or you need me to do this because we are so married, right? That's like the difference between, do you need love from your husband, or do you want your husband's love? Is love the condition for your husband to be your husband? Or is his love relevant only because he is your husband? So are you coming from within the relationship or have you stepped out of the relationship and making conditions for the relationship to exist? That's an infidelity. If, if you don't do this, I don't know why I'm married to you. That's infidelity. You're talking like an outsider. Why do you have to be this way? Why are you so much like your mother? Why can't you be like my mother? What, what are you saying? You've, you're sounding like an outsider. And if you are an outsider, it's none of your business why I am what I am. How dare you ask me personal questions if you're an outsider? So here's the important thing. I don't need love from my wife. I'm all grown up. My mother loved me. I don't need love. Because if I need love, I'm not ready to get married. So a couple come to me and say, you know, we fell out of love. We don't love each other anymore. I think we should get divorced. I said, no. Now that you don't love each other, maybe you should think of getting married <laughs> to each other, not to the love. So... 
you don't need love from your spouse. You need your spouse's love. That's because you're coming from the inside. You don't need love from your children. That's so immature. You need your children's love because they're your children. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, because love makes the world go round. Oh, no. God makes the world go round. <laughs> and he's your God, so you should love him. So first, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. Now love him. But if he's not your God, don't love him. Who cares? So we got to make it much more personal, which is also intimate. Marriage is supposed to take you past the things that originally attracted you to each other. Don't be married to stuff. Be married to her. And don't serve God for a reward. Serve him because he's your God. Thank you. Final, final question. I want to be cognizant of your time. I, one of the things that you can't help but notice in just about, I think it's yours and every other one of your, your son's Facebook profiles, just a picture of all of, the, uh, all, of, all of your children and you and how you really created a legacy where in the various components and the various ways that they reach out to the Jewish world, they're very much clearly unified with the, the cause that you set out of whatever it might be, being a Kiddush Hashem or you know, taking responsibility for the Jewish people or doing the best you can. So just... How many of my kids do you know? I, I, I fair amount, but all of them have pictures on their Facebook of each other. So at least so I saw. Could be there's others I don't know. But um, but the question is, how do you how do you raise what what technique would you say should a father try to put in his home so that his children follow both their own heart, but yet the path that the father has deemed is the truth and the way to, to the way to live. For today in today's world, the primary message is. It's not about you. The whole society, the media, is all determined to make it about you. If you listen to the commercials, buy this product because you deserve. <laughs> you deserve beautiful hair. So buy this hair product. I don't know anyone who deserves hair. <laughs> and besides, that's so offensive to bald people. <laughs> What, I don't even deserve hair? <laughs> There's no deserving. There's no deserving. You were born for free. You have life for free. You're already indebted to God up to your ears. What do you mean you deserve? It's not about you. Get off yourself. Liberate yourself. You can do amazing things for the world, for your, for your neighbor, for God. It's not about you. And this is a perfect, perfect example. There are guys who are worth $100 billion. Never before. Today, there are people who are worth $100 billion. Tell me that they actually believe that the $100 billion is meant for them. You can't. You can't. You got to be insane. They're so aware that all that money, which is theirs is not for them. And so they want to give it away. It makes it so much easier for the rest of us to understand that what we have was never meant for us. Like even my life. It's true, it's my life. But my life 
is not for me. I have life. That's it. I'm keeping it. That, that's not human. Whatever you have was meant to be given, to be shared, to be invested. Imagine a guy's got $100 billion and he keeps it under his mattress. You're not sane. You have love. It's meant for you to love yourself? That's crazy. All the love you have was meant to be given away. All the wisdom you have is meant to be shared. So the main message in raising children today is it's not about you. It's about what you can do for others. How do people find more about you, your, your work, your new book? It's good to know.org. It's good to know.org or joyofintimacy.org. Fantastic. Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. It was a pleasure. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.